Okay, here we go. With the first pick in the 2020 draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. Welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. Uh, it's exciting. We just had the NFL Draft. We just had episodes three and four of The Last Dance come out. We have a ton to talk about. Interview with a Packers part-time owner coming up in a little bit, too. So we are loaded today. Uh, once again, I am joined by the co-host, Marshall Macaluso, who is still stuck in quarantine like us all. How's it going, Mac? It's good. I think by the notches on my wall above my bed, uh... We're at like five weeks of quarantine, so uh, or at least five weeks since I got home. I don't even know the days blend together, but uh, we have some sports stuff to talk about. I- I'll say that this weekend has been, I mean, the most sports talk in a very long time. So I've been much appreciative of it. Oh, ESPN must be ecstatic right now with the ratings yeah. they've been getting. Just from, I heard the draft was one of the highest rated ever, and then the last yeah. dance had five million people tune in, and I think they got a close to the same number this weekend too. So, and yeah. it's funny because like you know it's a good one. It's a phenomenal documentary. Like it's been a great distraction during this whole thing, and you know yeah. it's good when like you know the first week anything comes out like the old XFL. People will tune in because of advertising. They're they're curious yeah. to see what it is. You know you have a good product when you can repeat those numbers the next week and you can keep people coming back, yeah. which is exactly what they did. Um, the soundtrack smacks, and this is the first thing I wanted to bring up because I know you're a big rap fanatic. But do we not? I, I don't think we give LL Cool J enough credit in the rap community because I'm Bad was an absolute banger. I, agree. I, I think he's a classic case, kind of, of you know. Uh, I think you've seen it with Lil Wayne, um, seen it with Eminem, you're not seeing it with Jay-Z, which is why I think he is one of the, the best of all time, but like, you know, they had a really good rap career, and then they kind of do other stuff later in their career that's mm-hmm. just not as good, I think all of Jay kind of just, his acting career is kind of yeah. Interesting to say the least. Well, they're just boring. And they were, yeah, no, I totally agree. And they're playing a lot of songs that like match the time period. But like listening to yeah. even like I'm Bad's a perfect example. They had some um, uh, NWA, I believe. Boys, like yeah. I feel intimidated listening to them. Or like you listen to some of the rappers now, like Trey is, and it's like uh, working on the weekend, like usual. Like I wouldn't be scared of him if I ran into an alley, and like you know. <laughs> If I ran into NWA in the alley, I'd be I'd be a little concerned. So uh, <laughs> they actually that was the first thing. But regardless, the soundtracks were not when he's dropping the 63 points on the Celtics with that bang in the background. Woo! Oh, yeah. Second big takeaway, and this is from all episodes in general. And I know everyone wants to jump to the LeBron Jordan comparison yeah, right away. Absolutely. Which ESPN definitely wants to jump there right away. Everyone wants to get, and that's, I think, a lot of people's first reactions. But my actually, especially even this week, too, it came up again. The players today look so soft compared to them. And now hear me out here. You hear the first episode, especially like Kawhi. This is the first guy I thought about. Because you had Michael Jordan in that first episode. He gets drafted his second year. He hurt. He breaks his foot. I got the confidence that the foot is completely healed and I can, and I can play on it. Michael asked him, well, if I play, what percentage is there that I'm going to get hurt again? Doctor said, yeah, 10%. And I just lost it. I said, look, it's 10% chance, but it's 90% chance that I won't. And then I chimed in. 
to the doctors, what happens if the 10% kicks in? And they said, well, then his career would be over. Well, everybody's just thinking about the negative. Well, I think the glass is half full. Everybody thinks it's half empty. So I said to Michael, you don't, you're not understanding the risk-reward ratio. If you had a terrible headache and I gave you a bottle of pills and nine of the pills would cure you and one of the pills would kill you, would you take a pill? And I look at him, I said, depends on how bad the headache is. I love that mentality. Then you have later in the series, he's getting beaten. Pippin gets his clock cleaned by Rodman, and he just sits there. He doesn't get up. He doesn't fight back like the strength that took. Or today, you know, you see some of these guys flopping around like some French woman out there trying to draw fouls, looking at James Harden. Uh, they don't play defense. Uh, I, they, do, they look soft uh, comparatively. Uh, well, that's okay. the second so, thing. So responding to that, if you're talking physically looking, I mean, I... Looking at the highlights from back then, and I know this is like a big point of contention in the LeBron versus Michael Jordan debate, but oh my lord, those guys look like they're eighth graders out there. It's insane. I mean, you got the the rare guy, you know, uh, uh, the Carl Malone and those guys every once in a while were absolutely jacked. Um, but I mean, some of these guys, I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, they would get absolutely body nowadays. Well, I do think that the rules are, it's just a different style of play. I mean, you can draw, you can draw, you know, you get a brush of an elbow, you can draw uh, two free throws pretty quickly um, because of that. I will say, though, you want to talk about soft is the mentality of some of these guys and the things they say. The, in the episode one or two from the first weekend, when Larry, when Michael Jordan dropped 60 or so on the Celtics and Larry Bird said, uh, you know, that, that, that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God in disguise Michael Jordan. Before you continue, before you continue, really quick, it gets glossed over the fact that Larry Bird thinks the Celtics could beat God because they lost that game. Yeah. Anyway, continue. I'll tell you what, though, right now. I don't care if I'm a if I'm a sixth-grade basketball coach, if I'm a high school basketball coach, if I'm a coach in the goddamn NBA. If I hear one of my players mid-playoff series compare an opponent to God, I am benching them for 48 minutes. Dude, shut up. Same, same with uh, you know Magic Johnson. When the Bulls uh, beat them in the finals and for their first title, Magic Johnson was like, you know, uh, you know, it, 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 this is the right way. I'm happy, Michael. Dude, shut up. Stop being so soft and just, you know, praising your opponents like that. That's not... I mean, want to talk about the NBA. People critically criticize today's NBA players for being all buddy buddy with each other? Absolutely not. Michael Jordan's playing playing golf with these guys yes, before the game. That was other guys saying, you know, oh, he was God. He's dropped sixty three on him. I'm like, dude, yeah, man, yeah. Yeah. If a, weak mentality. If a player today was golfing with the opponent the day before a game, that would be all over. So as far as the post game comments, one, I think that's the reason you'll never be an NBA coach for wanting to bench Larry Bird. Um, but <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I think you'll see today, like Steph, when he's dropping like 63 on a team in like one quarter. I uh, maybe not to the extent of comparing him to God, but like players still praise other players, and I think they're. It's, you know. it's not to that extent, though. I mean, and it's not as overt. I mean, they're, that, they're friends off the court. I mean, like you, you can you couldn't tell some of these guys are friends off the court. I mean, like Steph Curry, and Chris Paul, they're going at it with each other. It doesn't matter how many points they drop. And they're, they're good friends in life, man. I digress. I digress. I, I do agree with you, though, that the, the rules um, 
Although I will say the Bad Boy Pistons, um, as many people back then did too, I think that's kind of like an exception to the rule. I don't think they're a good example to say how the 90s were more uh, physical. It's not even, okay, it's like the hand checking, okay, it's not even that. Because the rules are different, and that's why you can't compare eras. Because like I know like you were talking about, like look at the players they were playing. I mean, LeBron spends a million dollars a year on his body. Back then, they don't have the same type of weight training, you know, the knowledge on diet and all that. So like I can excuse them if they're a little bit like, you know, thinner. They're not as in shape today. Because I think the athletes today are hands down a lot in, in better shape. You know, they're better today than they were back then. But just the fact, the mentality of them, like... There's no thought of load management or anything like that crossing oh, Jordan's mind. That's different, though. Okay. Yes, that's that. Yeah. In a way, yes, but he's a he's a completely different case. Like that, yeah, it's no, a rare no, break, no, and we'll no, get into no. him later. That's one of the later things. I was, you know, I, with Kawhi, you know, the load management thing with Jordan in his foot, and then like I said, Pippen getting knocked down by Rodman and Jordan getting beaten by the. I, I, they, they were a lot tougher, I feel, back in the day. The second thing, and this is the other big one, and this kind of goes in what we were talking about. One of my other takeaways is, like, you can't really compare eras. And, you know, I know a lot of people, their first thought is, like, jump in. And you see this all the time in the media. It's like, oh, we got to compare. Look how great MJ is. He's so much better than LeBron. Or, like, no, LeBron's better. Um, This documentary, first off, and I've always been a big LeBron guy. Uh, I won. I remember one year in a camp we were down. Uh, in Tennessee for some, like, uh, we were, it was uh, like a work camp, you know, we were helping build houses or whatever down there, and uh, on there, there was a big Jordan guy, and I was a big LeBron guy, and I made an ass of myself the whole trip, like, arguing, like, oh, no, LeBron's the goat or whatever. That was labeled biggest LeBron fanboy by the end of it. But anyway, I digress. It's, I think it's hard, because, like, LeBron's career isn't over, and even if he is, yeah. like, and I think I really have gotten a greater appreciation for Michael Jordan from this and, like, all the stuff he's gone through. And, I mean, the one thing I will say is LeBron will never be the cultural, like, icon or on the same level as Michael Jordan. The fact, like, he's walking around, he was like the Beatles. He won a slam dunk contest, defensive player of the year, MVP, scoring titles, 6-0 in the finals, like, you know. No, he's like rarefied airs. There's almost like a mythology following him where like LeBron people like walk around. He's like generally hated. He'll never be on the same like cultural level uh, or like icon as Jordan. And even he's got the shoes. He's got the brand. And now they're going to dive into that more the next episode. Um, I, I don't think LeBron will ever be as big as him culturally. That's the other thing. And, and like I think the, the GOAT debate, like you, you said this in a text and I totally agree. You can't compare him because LeBron's career is not over. Um, and I think when it is, there's a good case to be made that he will have surpassed him in accomplishments. But um, I think it's a fair argument as it stands right now, you know. And as they're saying, I, I think, you know, I can see why people consider Jordan as the GOAT for the first time. Because, you know, we never really got to yeah. watch him play. Yeah, and I, I, I think going going off that point, I, I do think it's, it's really unfortunate to... I mean, you just kind of look at where the two players are at. It's unfortunate that we're having these debates on ESPN and everything like that. Um, first of all, the very first point is the comparisons are stupid. I thought we had learned that once Kobe Bryant had died, just appreciate the greatness. They're not going to be around yeah. all that long. Regardless if you hate or love LeBron James, he's going to retire and he's going to be missed in the NBA. And it's, it's you know, uh, that's an undisputable fact. And I think, I mean, the comparisons right now is Michael Jordan's career is over, and basically anything talking about him is like, you're talking about, like, legend, like stuff that's not, like, real. He's, he, I mean, he, he gets to control a documentary about his playing career. 
I mean, we're talking about him losing to the Pistons and losing to the Celtics. He's losing one and nine without Pippen, which I'm not. I'm not. I'm not using it as a point in any debate. I'm just saying it's a fact. He lost nine times, and yet we're seeing it in a light. It's like he lost, but he dropped sixty points. Mm. He lost, but the Pistons were these jerks who walked out the handshakes. And you know, this is why Michael Jordan fought through adversity. I mean, point blank, he lost, but we're seeing it in a movie style aspect where he's still like the hero. You know, mm. and I think a lot of that has to do with just like and I said, it'd be, how much he had to overcome because yeah. you know he had to go through all these coaches, uh, and even like from his help, he had to overcome his help. Rodman was a basket case, as we saw, but they needed him to win, and he kind of had to yeah. hold that together. He was like Jordan was the guy holding it together. Pippen had this whole "I'm not playing in this final year" thing, and. Even if you look at their final game, he only had eight points in that final game where Jordan hit the like infamous game-winning shot. We'll get into that yeah. later. So, um, you know, he didn't like the, the Phil Jackson triangle. That was new. He was fighting with the front office. He had a lot to overcome, and I think that's a real testament uh, to what he had to accomplish. I think that's what that, this is kind of showing, even with like the bad boys beating down on yeah. him. And so that that's just really was giving me a bigger appreciation yeah. for him. But um yeah, you know, it's 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 also too bad for LeBron just because, like, I mean, you 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 look at any highlight videos from back in Michael Jordan's era. Oh, it's you know Jordan dropped fifty, Jordan dropped, mm-hmm. you know, whatever kind of points. And yet we're watching LeBron in real time where he's you know his team's losing to the to the Nets, and because it, it, I mean players, no team is perfect, no player is perfect, right? But once they retire and a couple of decades pass by, you find a, you just forget about all the the stuff that was not great about Jordan. I mean, a perfect example of that, we just saw the Pistons um, beating the Bulls uh, in six, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and how it was game two, and then all of a sudden, we skip a couple minutes, and the series is over. What happened in that time span? Well, in game four, Jordan went five for 15, and game five, he infamously shot eight times in 46 minutes, which is... I'm not ragging on him. It's Michael Jordan, you know, but we just don't see that aspect in the documentary. Whereas LeBron, you know, when he drops 10 points against a not great team, we're watching it live and you can't get away from that, you know? The other thing, the last thing as far as the Jordan-LeBron thing that really, like, stuck, uh, stood out is, you know, everyone's always ragging on LeBron because, like, oh, he's passing on the final shot or whatever. He passed to the corner to Corver where, you know, you heard Phil Jackson in the huddle, which I thought was, like, really cool. He's like, hey, look who's open, get Paxton yeah. the ball, he's open, and then you see him kicking it over to him, and he had like 20 points in that finals game for passing. Um, it was like the right basketball play, which was like, it was really, I think, you know, it was a good look for Jordan, but, you know, we don't give LeBron the same benefit of yeah. the doubt when he makes the smart basketball play. But, um, yeah. you know, enough about that. Let's just appreciate uh, what we got. Um, yeah. The other things that I, I really love from this documentary was, um, I love the first... The Tex Winters shout out was I was so happy about because he was Tex Winters. He was the assistant coach oh, yeah, of the Bulls, yeah, yeah. and he kind of had that whole thing where Phil Jackson was hired because he was kind of like kissing his ass, so to speak. You know, learning the triangle, yeah. coming up with the triangle offense. But he was really, you know, the arch- he's the architect behind the triangle, and you know, Phil trusted him a lot because when he went to L.A., the only assistant from that staff he took with him was Tex Winters. So I was yeah. glad he yeah. got a shout out. Um, the Rodman situation, wild, wild. I, I, I can, I'll tell you right now, if, if we had Dennis Rodman in today's uh, NBA, it would break social media. Oh, I don't, totally. I don't think we know how to handle it. 
the and uh, dating Carmen Electra, who's basically like the Kardashian before the yeah. Kardashians. Uh, and um, uh, the the singer, what's her name? Madonna. Uh, Madonna. Yeah, yeah. He's dating Madonna too. Um, and they had a thirty for thirty on him a couple years ago, and it was really good because he kind of got a background of him, which gave me some context to this. But like growing up, he he had twenty siblings. And he yeah. didn't know, like, half of them. He got kicked out of the house at 18, which they mentioned. He ended up living with a white family in Oklahoma before going to school. And he was, like, best friends with, like, a 12-year-old when he was in college. Uh, when he gets drafted, you know, he's still, like, an innocent. He loved going to, like, arcades and watching cartoons. They'd go to out clubbing, and he'd, like, order milk. And then he turns into this, like, wild guy. Uh, the director was talking about um, one of the stories that didn't get put in with Carmen. Electra was saying that on their first date... He was, they went clubbing or whatever, and then afterwards they get, she gets in his car, and they go, they go on the highway. And he's driving the wrong way down the highway. Like, cars are coming at him, and he's, like, swerving through traffic, which is, like, insane. But, like, not surprising, because you watch a documentary, you see him pound down a, a beer and then hop on a motorcycle. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The dude's insane. I, I think, like, the, the two parts I got from the Dennis Rodman episode was, I mean... He is so understated. He said himself, he said, I love Michael Jordan, I love Scottie Pippen, but without me, they don't do the things they did. And I think he's totally right. Yeah. I mean, the amount of influence he had on defense, I mean, he, he they said he's one of the greatest all on-ball defenders they'd ever seen, and he's one of the greatest rebounders of all time, combined mm-hmm. into one player. That's insane. And That's like, something that you just don't see every day. And I didn't realize like how he would like study like the angles and all yeah. of that. Watching film, I love the Phil Jackson moment where they like uh, talked about how they had the Native American interest yeah. and like how that kind of brought them together. Because he was really close um, with the Pistons. He said uh, at one point, "We were so close, we should have been having sex together." Um, Isaiah, <clears throat> Joe Dumont, and Chuck Daly was just embedded to me and said, "You know what? This is about a family. We want to win." got to stick together, we're going to do this together, we're going to do that. And I said a comment that the fact that we were so damn close, we should be having sex. And when the business of it kind of like broke up the team and Chuck Daly, who was like his first father figure of that head coach, and like he was gone and he didn't know what to do. And that's why he was kind of like lost in San Antonio. And then Phil kind of like reeled them back in. And only Phil Jackson would let a guy like, oh yeah, go ahead, take 48 hours uh off in, in Vegas. Like, it, that'd be a shit show today if that happened. And then, the, another thing Stephen Hare said um, in the post, like, he was doing an interview afterwards, uh, and Jordan didn't mention this on the thing, but he went to get him, because he was, when Jordan went to get him, it wasn't in Vegas, which is like a common misconception. He had, like, an apartment across the street from the United Center. Um, and so he walked in when Carmel Alexa was, like, hiding under the couch, and he, like, pulled him out by his, like, nose uh, nose ring, which is like, Wow. Um, one last, one last Robin story. I think you'll get a kick out of this one. This was from Sports Illustrated earlier. Uh, and this is also Carmen Electra talking. Uh, one day when the Bulls had an off day from practicing, Dennis said he had a surprise for me. He blindfolded me and we get on our motorcycle. He finally takes my blindfold off. We're standing at the Bulls practice facility, center court. It was crazy, like two kids in a candy score. We were eating popsicles from the fridge and pretty much having sex all over the damn place. In the physical therapy room, in the weight room, obviously on the court. Like, good God. That is insane. I mean, he's... I, I mean, you talk about, like... I mean, we talk about, like, Kyrie Irving, right? I mm-hmm. mean, this, like, bad locker room guy. Or, like, maybe, like, a Jimmy Butler or something like that. And, I mean, all these guys are doing are yelling at people in practice. 
you know, they're not really doing much. Kyrie just thinks the earth is flat. Yeah. You know, and he talks about his teammates to the press. I mean, you're talking about the stuff that he did. It's, it's, it's insane. And that's my, my second point is, I mean, Phil Jackson, the way that he handled Dennis Rodman. Oh, I know. Because, you know, they, do they win six without Rodman? That's up for debate. And, and they needed him. And, and Phil Jackson, the way that he was just roping him in, reining him in, but still giving him the freedom to do what he wanted to do off the court, I mean, it, it really is impressive. And the fact, like, yes, like you said, and he's, like, working with all these things. Pippen's another example. He's like, hey, I'm not coming back after my surgery. All right, take as much time off. That doesn't bother me. Then you have yeah. Jerry Krause saying you're not coming back even if you go 82-0, and 0, and you got to yeah. deal with that circus during the whole thing. Um it was amazing. The man was truly the Zen master. He's doing the yoga. I love the thing yeah. where they said he was dropping acid with the Knicks. And even when he was yeah. when he was growing up or not coming up in the coaching ranks in like the Dominican Republic and they're pouring yeah. chicken blood over the bench, Puerto it's like Rico. whoa, Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's like oh my god, it was uh, incredible. Um, Dennis Rodman, another big part of the story. Or not Dennis Rodman. We just talked about Dennis. Rodman. Scottie Pippen. Uh, we were talking last night. It was very impressive. I was picking up magic, ninety-four feet. Like you don't, you would not see that today. Someone picking up like a James Harden, ninety-four feet. Arguably one of the best point guards um, yeah. of all time. Which I was, wow. Go ahead. It was cool uh, seeing all these guys, and I, I liked how they, they inter- even when the story's not about them, they're interviewing a lot of like Steve Kerr and John Paxson, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Cartwright. <laughs> it's funny when Bill Cartwright just kind of called out, got called out by Jordan having a weak jumper. Uh, I can't imagine if I was like you know uh, a role player on LeBron's team or some goats team, and then they could make a documentary about him, and you're just getting roasted thirty years after. The yeah, it's like I don't want the ball in Cartwright's hands, or like yeah, with the with the yeah, triangle. Yeah. The way they did it, too, where they would, like, show them the screen so you could get, like... And this, the next big thing was, like, the whole bad boy Pistons are walking off the court, and Isaiah Thomas... Honestly, he looked like a fool today. He was going on an apology tour on ESPN and all these shows, like, talking about it. But where they're showing it to Jordan, you're getting the reaction. It is what it is, and they still hate each other, and that's that. I'll tell you what. I loved... Bill Lambeer's reaction, because he's like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I didn't give a shit then. I don't give a shit now. If you like me, great. If not, I don't care. We're, yeah. I think, you know, and it's interesting with Isaiah Thomas, because there's like a, there's a deep hatred there that like goes back yes. a while, because Isaiah Thomas is from Chicago. He was a Bulls fan gr- growing up, and then he goes to Detroit, who's one of their rivals, and you have Michael Jordan in the city, and he's kind of taking over the town. And he's like, whoa, what the heck? And I, John Staley told a story uh, why how this whole thing started. Isaiah goes home, and his nephew is wearing a Bulls jersey, Michael Jordan Bulls jersey. Okay. He said, hey, what, what, what are you doing? We're in Chicago. This is my team. This is his nephew. He's he not really understanding that it's the great Isaiah Thomas place of Detroit. We don't wear that. We wear this. But I'm, I'm from Chicago. I'm, I'm down with the, with the Bull movement. Isaiah was mad at that. Not to Michael, personally. In his brain, every time I play against this dude, I'm going to try to get, I'm going to try to go off so my nephew sees this is the jersey you should wear. So I heard another thing Sam Smith was saying. Uh, there's a playoff series, 
then he's like, you might be wearing Chicago on your chest, but I'm going to show you what a real Chicagoan plays like. So it was just like deep rooted there. And then Isaiah, Michael Jordan was one of the reasons because everyone hated Isaiah Thomas because, um, yeah. you know, they're playing like goons. And then he kind of always has this like charming smile. Nothing's ever his fault. He, you know, he comes out smelling like a rose every time. And they left him off the dream team. They put Christian Leitner on the team instead of him. And Isaiah Thomas is one of the best point guards of all time. Well, and he should have been on that team. But I think they're going to get into that because that was that feud where Jordan said uh, that he wouldn't play if, if Isaiah Thomas was on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just like. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't, I, I truly don't know if, if we'll ever get a beef like that again. It, it, it's very interesting. And I will say, though, Isaiah Thomas, um, even before this documentary, he's been on, like, you know, ESPN, whatever, first take, stuff like that, a show just talking about basketball. Um, and uh, he was saying that, like, he has the utmost respect for, for uh, Jordan. And he was saying that um, there, I don't remember what it was, but that there was one time where Michael was around uh, Isaiah Thomas's son, and he was, like, really nice to his son, and how. You know, he's got the utmost respect, but it is very interesting when you ask Bill Lambeer and Isaiah Thomas who they think the goat is. You could probably guess mm-hmm. that they both say LeBron. Um, yes, yeah, excellent point. Yeah, uh, and and to, to Isaiah Thomas's credit, he was talking about um, LeBron and Jordan, and then um, uh, Akeem Olajuwon. And he was saying, uh, you know, I never played against LeBron, but I can talk about Akeem and, and Michael Jordan because I beat them more than they beat me. So I'm like, hey, you know what? That, that'd be a pretty cool flex. Even if they, no one considers you that great in the history of basketball, the fact you say, you know, I, I have a winning record against Michael Jordan, that'd be, that'd be pretty dope. Would you, were you, did you have a problem with them walking off the court? Because I agree with Horace Grant when he said, Straight up bitches. You're walking across the bench, slinking off. But then to Isaiah Thomas's point, it's like, hey, the Celtics did that to us, and no one said anything about Larry Bird doing it. So what, where do you stand on that whole thing? Because it's really kind of rehashed a crisis. That's like the big talking point all across these sports talk uh, stations. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think basketball – see, basketball is one of those things where it's kind of like football um, and, and, and baseball. But there's no, there's no handshake line, so you're not really like – required to and honestly like you'll see in some sports i'm sure there have been guys who kind of slipped through the cracks and just have left um without shaking hands honestly i think it would have i don't know i mean part of me says you know it would have been a nice gesture as you know the bulls finally got him and, and the pistons that was kind of the the running of the ball that their their run has come to an end it, regardless of the beating the bulls just in general in terms of being competitive um uh, being the top dog, but then again, like if you hate a dude, like you hate a dude, and I don't care if people know that I hate the dude or if people think I suck or whatever. It's, I hate him. I'm not going to shake his hand. Is what it is. It is very fitting to their their style. You know? Yes, it definitely played into their reputation. I was with yeah. I was with Jordan on this one because he said, like, look, all you have to do is go back to last year and like the yeah, game that seven. Is true. That is I true, shook yeah. their hands. I was pissed, and like we can acknowledge, like. Jordan's kind of an asshole. It's been well documented, and it's but it's like a sportsmanship thing. He still went up, and he's like, "Hey, I'm." He's probably one of the most competitive guys that's ever played the game, and he's still, "Hey, good game, congratulations, whatever." So I think yeah. it's a sign of respect. But uh, yeah. it was interesting. No, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Final thing before we move on from the last dance: Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf, Bulls front office, catching a lot of heat, and you know Jerry Krause yeah. has been kind of the villain throughout this thing and he's not a very likable looking dude you know he's kind of got that weird face um 
you know, the way he talks, yeah. he always kind of like smug. He wants like the credit and he's like the short guy that like doesn't look athletic. Um, and I know the director was saying he didn't want him to come across like a villain and he thinks he's going to get his credit like uh, in a couple series or um, like in a couple episodes from now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he really he's the it's he's an polarizing figure because he is the architect of the team. Like he put everyone on that roster. But Jordan, yeah. he made the savvy move to move on from Doug Collins and hire Phil Jackson. Um, yeah. which was, you know, that, that was a, that was a good move. He brought in Dennis Rodman, you know, I, I could go on. Uh, but at the same time, he kind of derailed it. Um, you know, his ego got the best of him. Where do you kind of stand on this thing? Do you see him as the villain throughout this? Yeah. I mean, I didn't live through it and I'm not a Bulls fan, so I don't, I obviously don't have the same perspective as, uh, many, um, but I know there are some and I, there were some uh, analysts, you know, everyone's popping off their tweets and their takes or whatever. And there was some I kind of agreed that it didn't really sit right. I mean, he, the dude is dead. He built a six-time championship winning team. And were his decisions towards the end of there a, a bit rash? Yes. Some of the things he said about Scottie Pippen, about Phil Jackson, about Michael Jordan, all three of those guys. Some of the things you said about to the press, you just shouldn't have said those things. And it was a mishandle. But to, like, to drag this guy through the mud for something that happened in the 90s, it's like, really? Like, did we have to do this? I mean, no one... If, if we got a Michael Jordan documentary and they didn't just show a ton of clips of them just bullying this guy, I don't think people would have missed out on too much, you know? Like, the past is the past. Um... I don't know if it's better or worse that Jerry Krause is dead. I mean, at least he doesn't have to see it anymore, but... I think it's... Well, he said... He, the director was saying that, that Jerry Krause was actually the first guy he wanted to interview, um, and he died a couple months after, so he it was, he couldn't get you couldn't really get his perspective, which kind of stinks. Yeah. Uh, and that was a good yeah. point you brought up there, but um, so I don't think it helps him necessarily. But you know, at the same time, yeah. his ego, like you know, he, you're a general manager. The players should get more credit. And he had that one quote that organizations yeah, win championships, not players. Yeah. So it's tough to come across looking good after all of that, yeah. but no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I'm not saying he's like blame, blameless or anything like that. I'm not saying he's perfect, but like, I don't know, just some of the, the, the way that they kind of talked about mm-hmm. him sometimes. And I mean, you talked about Jerry Reinsdorf was one of the first things that he or anyone said, um, in the documentary, it was like, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And then they're like, all right, we're going to crap on him for the next 45 right. minutes. You know, or it's kind of like I get that they kind of offer this perspective, and that you know I'm hoping that he gets more, you know, credits uh, in the coming episode. <laughs> like the, the way they started it off, certainly entertaining, but at the same time, it's like really like do yeah. we have to rehash all this? I Can you just, yeah. I want to like him too because he went to Bradley, and he, he yeah. used to be a White Sox scout. Same with Jerry Reinsdorf. Like, he's the owner of the White Sox. He got us a World Series title. I want to like both of them. They come across as so dislikable in this, and they look so yeah. dysfunctional. Like The fact you come out and you say, like I can see why the players are pissed at him. You're saying in the middle of the season you're going to fire the coach that, oh, yeah, they're not coming back next year. It's ridiculous. Now, this is also interesting, too, because the Bulls, you know, obviously, they've really never recovered after that, and a lot of people say yeah. like they could have continued this dynasty. But if you look at some of his draft picks before he was eventually fired in 03, he drafted Eddie Curry, who was a pretty good player. Uh, he yeah. drafted Ron Artest, who later became Meta World Peace. Pretty good player. He traded for yeah. Jalen Rose, another good player. 
uh he also got um uh he got he drafted Jay Williams. Uh decent yeah. decent player. Like he he got a lot of good Tyson Chandler's another player he acquired. Like he got a lot of really good talent and he had a good scouting eye. It's just like all those guys panned out for other teams, not the Bulls. So yeah. I found that he did have a good yeah, scouting eye, but yeah, it's just his egos got the best of them. Um, moving yeah. on to the next big, uh, big thing that happened this weekend, the NFL draft. Um, yeah. And I usually I don't like watching the draft. Um, you know, they, yeah. they have the list that comes out the next day. Uh, you can look at it, and it's you know it's the same thing every time. You have these talking heads on there. Oh, I think the Jets need an offensive lineman, and then they interview yeah. him. It's like, oh, I'd like to thank God. Uh, I'm excited to play for Buffalo. Uh, same thing the last thirty guys said. But this year, I really, I really did enjoy it. We were missing some like live sports event, and I think yeah. considering the circumstances, they did a pretty good job of putting on the draft. It was pretty much. You know, not too many surprises in the first round until Jordan Love got drafted by the Green Bay Packers, who traded up to get him, was really the big story from the first round. And we are joined now by Patrick Cushman, part-time Packers owner, season ticket holder, and the youngest elected official in DuPage County uh, history, precinct committee man, Mr. Patrick Cushman. How are you today, sir? Marshall, I think we should we should own part of the Packers. I think that'd be pretty good. We should that that should be a good that would be a good investment. Um, you think so? I don't know. Pat, let me ask you. I don't know, be, I don't know when yeah, go on. Before we get into the series stuff, like what what is being as like a part owner? How what does that entail? Do they like send you anything ever? Do you ever get to put your input in? Um. Yeah. So they only do sales every few years. So they did one in the nineties to fund their stadium expansion in 2013. And then they did one in 2011 for the new Jumbotron and the uh, end zone edition. Um, so they only sell stock at certain times, usually to fund stadium renovations. Um, but you can buy as many shares as you want. It really doesn't matter how many you have because you don't, it's not like in a you know a stock in McDonald's where you make money off of it, um, but you do get a certificate. I have it hidden in my room, um, and you do get an invite to the annual o- owners meeting, um, in which you vote on the board, um, the board of directors for the Green Bay Packers. Um, however, they, they always run unopposed for the most part, so it's really mo- mostly a uh, symbolic thing. Um, to do, and the fans love it. You know, it's fun to say you're an NFL owner, but for the most part, it's symbolic. All right, now let's get right down to it. We just we we just had the NFL draft, and honestly, it was pretty much a chalk draft for the most part. Um, not many trades or anything. Everyone is but went as about as expected, and then I think the most surprising move from all three days, quite frankly, was the Packers um, trading up to draft Jordan Love. Uh, and I was I was a Jordan Love fan. But I feel like when you have Aaron Rodgers and you haven't picked a position player for him since in the first round since they picked Aaron Rodgers, and you were a game away from the Super Bowl, I found it a little head scratching. And you like the move? Uh, why? Yeah, I think I think Jordan Love. Um, personally, for me, I think he is out of all the quarterbacks that were you know drafted in the first round, first couple rounds. I think he has the most upside potential. Um, I think Burrow has a ceiling for the most part. Herbert, I really 
did not. I really think he's a game manager at best. Um, and Tua, I think we've been able to see what he's able to do at the collegiate level. I think he will be successful. But I think Jordan Love, coming out of a smaller program, obviously, um, you know, unknown really until we start talking about the draft. I mean, uh, last three years well, ago, you asked me who Jordan Love is. He, uh, I, I can tell you one thing about Jordan Love last year. He actually led the FBS in receptions, if that's one uh, notable thing about him. Uh, but, yeah, carry on, carry on. Uh, yeah, um, well, if you look at his junior year, he put up great statistics, um, given that's in the Mountain West. Um, and then I think he was eight starters from the offense last gra- they graduated, and his entire coaching staff left. Um, so, you know, that's for just, that transition into a new coaching staff at a program that's really not the best in the FBS and no returning starters. You know, it's tough for any quarterback. And so Jordan Love, I think he's going to be a late bloomer. I think if he was starting week one for any team, I don't think he'd be very good. Um, But the thing is, Aaron Rodgers has four years left on his contract, and after four years, if they think Love is the guy, they're not going to re-sign Aaron Rodgers. And I think if the Packers are able to develop Jordan Love, I think he has the upside um, to be maybe not the best quarterback in the NFL, but he, he, I think he does have a lot of upside, so I really like that move. Um, and, you know, we need to continue on. The thing, what you need to win in the NFL is a good quarterback, and Jordan Love gives yeah, us that but option. You have one, and aren't you worried? Wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. You said what you need to have to win in the NFL is a good quarterback. They have a Hall of Fame in the NFL. Yeah, they have a Hall of Fame quarterback right now. What, what, what rationale is that to trade up for a quarterback when you have a Hall of Fame guy uh, who's got four years left on his deal and the next two years has insane cap money? So, really, realistically, there's no way you can get rid of him the next two years. And then, like you said, the next four years, I mean, how are you going to know if Jordan Love is the guy in the next four years if you don't bench Aaron Rodgers or trade him after two years? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think the coaching staff, I mean, it's the same thing we did with Aaron Rodgers in the future, or in the past. Um, we Aaron Rodgers on the bench three or four, I think he was drafted in 2005, and he, yeah. he first started in 2009, 2008. 2008, So he's on the bench for three years. Um, and so I think it's the same rationale as that. Um, obviously, it's a leap of faith. Um, but another point I want to make out is... Uh, and you guys have made this point, is why didn't they draft, you know, a skilled position player? Why didn't they draft a wide receiver? And, you know, to be fair, you don't really know that that wide receiver that they could have drafted um, could make an impact. Um, you saw Kevin White a few years ago, number seven overall. He hasn't done anything. You see a guy like Justin Blackman, who I think went third or five. Um he fizzled out as well. So there's no real guarantee, especially at they picked him at 26, that you're going to get that kind of impact player um, from the draft. And if they had Jordan Love higher than any of those wide receivers, um, that would probably be the rationale behind it. So my my two concerns okay. would be um, no, well, number one, would you are you at all concerned that it's going to like piss off Aaron Rodgers because you were want to win away from the Super Bowl. So I feel like you should be trying to like add on to that. And I'm all for building for the future. It just seems like, Hey, you have a chance to do some damage and win a Super Bowl. I, I would feel like you'd be wanting to add on to that. And it could have, uh, you know, uh, pissed off your franchise quarterback. Are you at all worried about that? Well, in the past, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's, 
Yeah, with the Mark McCarthy um, coaching staff, he argued with them. Um, he's always kind of had that diva kind of attitude. So I feel like no matter what, he's going to have that attitude. Um, and you have the organization drafts not based off one player. No player is bigger than the organization. Um, and so if you need, if you believe that you have a quarterback that can start for you for the next 15 years, um, you know you're willing to make that decision, even if it upsets one particular player. Okay, Mitchell, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna say okay. I I I under, I well, some of the points you made are interesting. I don't think just because Aaron Rodgers has problems with Mike McCarthy is that a reason to draft his backup uh, when you were in the NFC Championship game. Uh, okay, the Packers had the worst draft, and it wasn't really close. It was it was pretty, pretty much a disaster. Um, going back to your wide receiver point, the fact that they didn't draft a wide receiver at all in the most in the deepest wide receiver class in frankly you know history recent history is is indefensible. First and first three rounds, you draft a backup quarterback. You trade up to draft a backup quarterback, who you're not going to start for at least the next two years. The second round, you draft a backup running back when you're already set on that position. Third round, you draft a fullback in the deepest wide receiver class in recent NFL history, and you are desperately in need of wide receivers. You look at the receivers last year, Devontae Adams, top 10 receiver. You got him. The second best receiver in terms of yardage was uh, Alan Lazard, who had 477 uh, yeah, Alan Lazard. Hey, I'm an Alan Lazard fan. I saw his first game as a professional, and, you know, without my support, he wouldn't be the Hall of Fame caliber player he is today. But point taken, continue. <laughs> the third best receiver on your team was Aaron Jones, your running back. And you just drafted another running back. They, that draft made no sense. I mean, in the third round, how are you going to draft a fullback and a second round of back of running back over getting a receiver at all? I don't it, 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 okay, it was horrible. First off, uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are up for contracts. Um, we're not going to pay Aaron Jones the money that he's going to be getting. So he's gone after next year. Jamal Williams most likely the same. Okay, he's going after next year. You got him this year. Yeah, you don't want a rookie starting at running back. The thing is, is we're drafting for the future here. We're not, you know, we're not a short-term sighted team. You draft, draft a running back now. He's a bruising running back here. He won 13 and 3. Second of all, oh, Josiah DeGrom, he is he's considered more of a receiving tight end from what I've read. Um, I also think that. Now you draw. Yeah, Josiah DeGrom, I've heard that he's more of a receiving guy. He's going to play some of the Z back, but if you know how the Packers offense works, we used the Z backs a lot in the passing game. We did that with Vitaly, um, and we did that with Sternberger uh, late in the year. So, oh, and I think that the Packers are. Betting on a lot more production from Sternberger. We also did sign a wide receiver um, in the free agent class this year. Um, so, yes, there's a pressing need at wide receiver, but I also like to make this point. Um, with all the wide receivers drafted, I think there's going to be a lot of veterans that are going to be released. Some good veterans that are going to be released by teams who drafted wide receivers. I think the Packers will have their picking and choosing of them. Um, so, again, you're happy with seconds. You happy with the wider, the veterans who get cut from other teams that don't want them? You're fine with that? For, for payment, for payment uh, purposes, that they're going to get cut because rookie contracts are a lot cheaper. Um, 
this AJ Dillon guy, I mean, he's, he's six foot, he's 250, um, he runs like a train, he reminds me of Eddie Lacy before he blinked. So I think, that, I think, you know, that's a good pick at, in the second round, in the late second round. I mean, um, we're, we're, you're, you're, you're getting a backup for a second round pick. That's what's happening in the first year. In the first year. I mean, if you're, if, if you start, if you're a second round pick and you start in your first year at the um, tailback position, um, you're most likely on a bad team. Um, and coming from a Broncos fan, that, that's kind of evident. Um, what? So I think AJ Dillon is going to be able to. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That, that, made, that made no sense. Our, what? So Dillon, he's going to be a third down back. He's going to be a short yard back this year. So it's not like he's just going to be riding See, behind all So, so you, you use your second-round pick to do the, the guy who's going to make a living off of running third and threes? I mean, that's a, that's a first year like waste that. of draft capital. It, it will be, yeah. It is. A, in his defense, it is a one-yeah. He's going to be the number one back, I think, in a couple years, you know, once Jones and Williams eventually depart. Um, so for this season, you know, he's still going to play a vital role as a third down back and as a short yardage back. And then in the future, I think he will be a good um, first option back. Um, so, and then going back to the tight end, uh, you know, he's a receiving tight end for the most part. No, he's, 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 big not, guy, he's, big not he's not a receiving tight end. He caught 12 touchdowns over four years. So let's call three touchdowns a year, a receiving by that. I mean, he's at Cincinnati. Right. They were right. So he had 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns in his four-year career, which translates to 250 yards and three touchdowns a year. I, I mean, did he start every year? Did he, did he start every year? I mean, I don't know. I, I can't. I can look into well, in, individual stats if you want. Well, you're talking like he is. Josiah. He caught, I mean, he, he caught for he caught 40 passes as a junior and 40 passes as a senior, and he caught seven touchdowns as a senior, and he was an all conference senior. So he, you know, he's undersized. Matt Lafleur said they're going to use him as the Juzic role, like uh, the Niners do. So he'll be a blocking slash. Pullback. Well, I mean, okay. I, I will say this for the Packers: from what it sounds like, they want to run more of like a 49er style offense with a couple running backs. You know, you have fullbacks where they're playing. They're, it's going to be based more around the play action than just like you know airing it out every year and relying on Aaron Rodgers because his stats, but they have been declining these past couple of years. Uh, he's still definitely a top tier quarterback, but I think Lef- from what it looks like anyway, uh, it looks like Lafleur is moving into more of a run based offense. So I can sort of understand. Uh, in that sense, but uh, you know the other thing that like bothered me with the Jordan Love pick though early is like if you're gonna sit him behind Aaron Rodgers, that's fine, but he's on his rookie deal, which is generally when you want to play the quarterback and build around him because it's so cheap. So now by the time you have to re-sign him when Rodgers contract up, I mean you're gonna have to you know pay him a little bit more or like trade one of them. So I, I feel like. Um, that's that, that's the other thing that confuses well, but, me. But again, that's what they said about Aaron Rodgers too when. You know, they drafted him behind a Hall of Fame quarterback in Brett Favre. And, I mean, look how that, and that turned out fine. But Rodgers, when he was in the draft, that's that's fair. But Rodgers, when he was in the draft, was considered, like, a top, one of the best quarterbacks in that class, and he fell pretty far. Exactly. Where Jordan Love was, was like... first or second on many boards, and Love was the third on many boards. So, I mean, so... so, the whole philosophy of this draft, what I'm getting from what the Packers did and what you're saying, 
is that they're taking a massive gamble on Jordan Love, a huge gamble, trading up for him. And you're basically, I mean, you're you're saying we're picked, we're drafting these guys, and in two, three years, they're going to be good. That's the quarterback. That's the running back. So you're basically saying, you know, we're just going to take our thirteen and three. And I mean, based on what the draft picks, I mean, this looks like a rebuilding draft team. If you look at it, the the teams who are already in compete now mode are saying we need guys who are going to shore up depth at positions we need and who are going to start day one. And, and that's what the teams who are competing, that's what they're trying to do. I mean, you look at the Buccaneers, they draft the running, they're, they're, they're drafting skill position players for their quarterback because they got a good quarterback. They say, hey, we want to win this season. So we're going to get Tom Brady a running back that he needs, and we're going to get him offensive lineman that he needs because we want because we want to make playoffs this year. And the Packers say, right. we went 13-3, and three. we couldn't have gone to the Super Bowl last year, let's just kick it over to the next two years and draft guys who are not going to be useful on this year's roster. How does that make any sense? Right, and you know, that, that philosophy has always been the Packers' philosophy, and it's worked well. Um, the Buccaneers haven't been in the playoffs since... As a Bears fan, I, I, I can attest to that as a Bears fan. No, 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 This is not the Buccaneers' philosophy. This is the NFL's philosophy. The Eagles, the Broncos, a lot of our teams say, we need, we have a positional need. Let's draft the player in that positional need. This is not a team philosophy. That's just being a smart NFL franchise. The Packers need receivers. You draft a backup running back and a fullback. Again, it's a tight end that, that plays in a Z-back role, which a block is more of a pass whatever role. Way, whatever way you want to spin it, you need a receiver, and you didn't get one, you got backup players. And, uh, I mean, we added a, we added a free agent wide receiver. Uh, I think it was going to step up big. They took a big step forward. And, you know, there are some players that, that are late bloomers. I think Lizard's one. Um, we had a veteran in Devin Funches, who I think is... But I think Devin Funches is your answer. I mean, come on, man. They do. Okay, they do have. Um, um, he was coming from a franchise that went thirteen and three, you know. So I think you know the Packers' strategy has worked. We've always had a best available kind of strategy in the draft, and we drafted the players we thought were the best available. Available, and that's. What? Right. And they do. The Packers do have Devontae Adams also, which I think we like. So that's no slouch at wide receiver. So it's not like they have no wide receivers. I just, yeah, I would have no, liked I, for I, them I, to I, add a skill. Well, they, I wouldn't have, but I wouldn't have because I'm a better fan. But uh, I feel like it would have been to their benefit to draft a skill position player uh, in the first round. However, you know, could be proved wrong to, uh, down the road. Well, it's always good to put. Skill position. Yeah, I mean, yes, oh, yes, that is true. When you have. So you draft as his backup? We drafted our future starter. Okay. Okay. We drafted a running back at the 60-second pick. You're not, a lot of times, those guys aren't going to be immediate starters anyways. Um, I mean, so, I mean he's going to be a, bit, a short down back, and somebody's going to be able to contribute on third down. Um, so, you know, I don't think that's saying, oh, we're just, we're just drafting guys who are going to be good in two years. This guy is going to be able to get, contribute. Um, in one or, in this next upcoming year, and he drafted a tight end who I think is going to be able to play that Z back role really, really well. And we have Jay Sternberg who wasn't able to play 
most of all last year due to injury. I think he's going to take a big step up and become uh, more of an offensive weapon. Final thoughts, uh, okay. just before we, because we, we got to wrap things up here. Uh, Pat, what, how do you think, uh, what, what do you think of Matt LaFleur as the new head coach? Um, how do you think he did his first year? And do you think, uh, since Mike McCarthy was the old coach, how do you think he'll fare uh, in Dallas? Um, LaFleur, um, for his first year, I mean, going 13-3, and um, it's no small feat. We did have a much improved team, but, you know, no matter what, going 13-3 and is um, a feat on itself. Um, I think he's one of the best young offensive minds that we have as a coach um, that are in the NFL today. Um, I think he's, you know, his play calling will get better in his second year. Um, and so he's fared well, and, you know, this draft kind of um, showed the front office, showed LaFleur that the front office trusts him, and they're drafting more to his scheme. So we'll see more of that. Um, I think we're going to move more to, uh, you know, a West Coast kind of Matt LaFleur-type offense and move away from, you know, Mike McCarthy offense. So, you know, it'll all take time, and, you know, I really think LaFleur's done a good job in his first year, and I think he's a good coach. All right. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you said you wanted to plug something. Um, you got 30 yeah, seconds. Um, I, I would like to plug um, my book that I'm writing coming out in late 2021, early 2020, um, The Adventures and Escapades of a Degenerate, um, that will be um, released, like I said, late 2021, early 2020. Um, basically goes through you know the life of a uh, degenerate, such as myself, um, and how sports played into that, um, and how that led to gambling and excessive drinking. Um, and like I said, that book will be out late 2021. <laughs> so uh, look for it. I am looking forward to it. Thank you so much. That was Patrick Cushman, part owner of the Packers, precinct committee man, and future offer from the looks of it. Thank you so much for stopping by, Pat. We'll hopefully halfway through the uh, year, we'll uh, we'll check back in, see how the uh, Packers uh, draft picks ended up. We can rehash the right, conversation. And, uh, make sure to get me on for some uh, Premier League talk too. Oh, you that's know, right, you know, big Liverpool. Yeah, soccer here. Talk a little. I've, trust me, I've tried. Hey, you know what? I, I'm I'm all for it. I, I'm ready to learn. If we have someone that knows what they're talking about with you, the, the problem is I don't know what I'm talking about. I know Mo Salah, and that's about it. Thank you guys for having me. All right, thanks for uh, So I think, actually, this was a pretty fun and a good time draft because I feel like a lot of teams kind of got what they needed, and you can look at a lot of teams who improved pretty pretty, pretty drastically because this, this draft had a lot of talent. It I mean, you're did. talking like second round picks, third round picks that are going to make a big impacts for teams. Um, as a Broncos fan, I think we had one of the best, unbiased opinion, I think we were one of the, one of the best drafts in the NFL. Um, uh, got, I mean, the fact that we got Jerry Judy at number draft 15, mm-hmm. I mean, that was absolutely insane. I, 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 it was too good to believe, honestly. Um, because, I mean, that's just a... It, it, it's interesting because, I mean, it's a position that kind of need... We, we definitely didn't need that or Corlin's on, but, you know, trying to get weapons for the young quarterback to lock. And I think... I mean, we did the interview with Badger Gushman, and I think that looking at the Broncos and looking at the Packers, I mean, they, they, they both need to do the same thing. And I think the Broncos did it the best. They got a, a number one... A guy, a, a guy who's number one starter right off the bat, Jerry Judy... KJ Hamler, who's got his ups and downs, and we talked about his drops a little bit, but he's just a speed guy, um, a utility guy, can use different spots. They got they drafted his tight end, uh, best friend from Mizzou, 
They drafted a, the set, starting center, the captain of the LSU national championship team, who's going to be our starting center week one, most likely. I came away really happy. A lot of teams got what they needed. Um, but yeah, I think it was overall, I, I kind of like the... Uh, virtual drafts. It, uh, it went by a lot faster, and I would agree with you. I actually think the Broncos, just the offseason in general, were probably one of the winners of the offseason. I think Jerry Judy, he was personally, I think he was the best receiver uh, in the draft. It's up I for agree. debate for like any, and you know, people are saying he's like a slot guy, so he's more of like a luxury, but you have Cortland Sutton, so you can afford a luxury player yeah. like Jerry Judy. Um, you picked up the... Um, you have a pretty good running back. You picked up Melvin yeah. Gordon. Uh, that tight end from Mizzou, I can't even pronounce his last name, but actually he was one yeah. of the guys I thought, because um, I know the Bears were looking for a tight end, the Bears should draft in a later round. So I think that was a great pick. Not, the only one I didn't really like was the Hamler pick, because I saw him at Penn State and he dropped a lot yeah. of passes. But the guy is, uh, like, undoubtedly, he's got a ton of speed. So yeah. it seems like all the pieces are in place. Because defense, you're stacked, and you have a yeah. really good defensive-minded coach in Vic Fangio, and you now you got a bunch of weapons on offense. The only thing that concerns me is that quarterback position with Drew Locke. He's kind of been, well, he was good last year, but there hasn't been a whole lot of tape on him. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I don't think there's enough to go by to say like, oh, this guy is going to be able to lead us uh, to uh, like a second round of the playoffs. So I, he's the one roadblock, and unfortunately, it's at the biggest position. Um, yeah. So he's a big question mark for me. I think Drew Locke showed enough that it was looking upwards is good. But, I mean, regardless of Drew Locke, I think the Broncos say, look, we, we got our defense, we need some rebels to offense, let's draft them. Let's just put our quarterback in the best position to succeed. If, it, it, you know, if, it's, if, if we don't do well this year, uh, then it's just going to be the quarterback's fault, and we're just going to have to figure that out. But they think they got their guy. And that's like, I mean, I think a lot of teams uh, need to – come to terms with, I mean, we've seen it with, like, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson, where you got, like, good quarterbacks, and it's like, yes, the quarterback's the most position plus important, important position in football, but if you don't get a weapons and a good system, like, it's a moot point of your talent, because they can only take you so far. Mm. I mean, you know, when you got when you got janitors for your receivers, it's just not going to work out. Tom Brady, we saw it last year, too. It's like a team saying, look, like, and, and they couldn't have come in more perfect time. There's so many receivers that can make an immediate impact um, in this draft. And I think a lot of players, a lot of teams came away with what they needed. What about, what about you, the Bears, with their 11 tight ends? How are we feeling? How are we feeling about the track? Well, it's gone down to nine. They just cut two today. Oh, okay, all right. Here's my problem with the Bears draft. I have a couple. And honestly, I think the first two, the first two picks... And, you know, you hear a lot of guys say, like, oh, your team's built in the third round of the draft. But that's not true. You're, the first two rounds are, like, the big rounds that are the most important. Yeah, so I'm judging the Bears on their first two picks here. Because, um, you know, quite frankly, these mock drafts, you don't know what you're getting out of the fifth lower rounds. Anyway, uh, one of the analysis analysts said that, oh, we got two first-round guys. It's like, first up, that's not true. If they were first-round guys, they would have went in the first round, all right? Um, yeah. You know, that's like the Winklevoss twins saying, we invented Facebook. If you were going to invent Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. So that's the first problem I had. The second problem was, Cole Komet, I'm sure, is going to be a solid player. I think he was probably one of the best tight ends in the draft, so I'm sure he will be good. But you have a ton of needs, especially on the offensive line. 
And you really can't win and be a good football team unless you have at least one good tackle. Right now, they have a bunch of fill-in guys. They drafted a yeah. t- tackle in the late rounds. He's probably going to be a practice one guy, squad guy. So that concerns me, especially because you just signed Jimmy Graham. So why are you yeah. signing Jimmy Graham yeah. just so you can pick Cole Komet? That's like going over. I, I that's like if you were going to go over to your girlfriend's house for dinner and they said, "Hey, we're making kishkas," and then you brought your own kishka for some reason. It's really good, but there was no reason to bring that kishka because they were already making it. That's a horrible example. <laughs> I'm sorry, but anyway, um, that 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 was confusing to me. I thought we had other needs. I'm sure it'll be fine. And then the cornerback we got, um, uh, Jalen Johnson, Jalen Johnson from Utah, um. You know, I'm sure he looks really good, and we needed a cornerback, so I was kind of happy with that pick. But he has a ton of—he's had soldier surgery, he's been banged up, uh, and he has problems tackling as it was in college. So that was a little confusing for me. And then we traded up for a fifth-round pick, and we gave up a fourth-round pick from last year. And I don't, the the whole thing where we didn't draft a quarterback kind of ticked me off. I would have liked to take a quarterback one of the later rounds and trading all these picks away. You know, he's always he, we're always short picks because he traded a fourth round pick to get Foles. Now he's trading up to get a fifth round guy. That's all kind of confusing for a team that says they want to win now. So I was not particularly happy with our draft. Um, I'm sure the players will be fine. Like I think Cole Komet and Jalen Johnson are going to be two very solid NFL players. Cole Komet to me is going to be like an Austin Hooper tight end, where yeah. he's a solid tight end that's going to play ten years in the league and be great. He'll not he's not going to be like a Gronk or anything. Uh, I don't yeah. think, but he'll be a solid player. Um, but we had other needs. Like, why are we paying Jimmy Graham if we knew we were going to get Cole Komet? I, that did not make sense to me, and I would have drafted a quarterback. Um, yeah. You know, the Vikings drafted a quarterback, and they're paying Kirk Cousins a ton of money. You get, yeah. they, you, you got to draft a quarterback. So. I mean, even the Bills, they got, I mean, they, you know, they have their guy right now who may or may not be the answer, but they drafted Jake Paul. I, I mean, you know, there's just there's just quarterbacks who you just kind of take a pick on, and maybe you can see what they could do. You the know, other I big, totally agree. yeah, and the other big shock. Talk, speaking of quarterbacks, um, Jalen Hurts going to the Eagles. Uh, we talked about the other big shock with Jordan Love, but what did you think but, of that? Yeah, I mean that's just where I and I was talking about a two. They're talking about a two quarterback system. And, you know, we've talked time and time again on this podcast. Someone, someone should pay us because you've said it. We've all said it. You have two quarterbacks. You don't have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I don't. Under, I just don't understand. Especially with Carson Wentz, he's on a he's on a contract. And he's not. He's not going anywhere. I mean, unless you want to convert him to a running back, which I think Jalen Hurts has shown that he has a lot more to offer than just a running back or a receiver. The you only know, like I, yeah, I think this dude can be a pocket pass in the NFL, and I, 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 it's a shame. I wish he could have gone to a team. That you know, may, may, like the Jaguars are a team where they might need a quarterback in the near future, and he can give them a, a chance to prove it. But with the Bears and the needs, there is a lot of there are some some teams. The Bears, one of them. The Packers, another one. Where it's just I, I, you know, I'm a fan. I try not to speculate too much because the experts are going to do their job, and half the time the experts are wrong. But it just it just seems like you know you need a receiver or you need an offensive lineman. Just draft. A good one. Mm-hmm. It just seems two plus two is four. You know, Broncos. We don't have very good receivers. Let's draft two good receivers. It's easy as that. You know, the Eagles. We don't have good receivers. Let's trade for one and draft for another. It's easy as that. And yeah. when a teams, you know, draft like these upside gambles and and that's what yes, players, yes. It's like what it what it what is your rationale? Like, why are you making these decisions when you point blank? Oh. You need a guy and you don't get a 
That is what Ryan Pace always does. It's like he's trying to outthink everyone in the room. Like, we picked Adam Shaheen a couple years ago. He's like some small school guy. And there's actually something that just came out today I was reading, that the Bears have picked the most small guys from small schools um, since Adam, out of any other team in the NFL, since uh, since Ryan Pace has become the general manager. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Going back to the uh, Jalen Hurts thing, though, I give Doug Peterson the benefit of the doubt because he is a smart guy, and I feel like that Jalen Hurts is going to be used as kind of a Taysom Hill type player where, like, hey, he can come in and throw. He could run. We can run the Wildcat with him. He's athletic. He could catch passes. So I'm hoping that's how they're going to use him. Um, So so they're not wasting him with that high of a pick. But uh, we'll see. And you mentioned this in the Patrick the Patrick Cushman interview, and I actually thought it was a good point. I think it kind of got misinterpreted at the time being, but like the Buccaneers, you know, you needed offense. That's another winner, I think, this offseason. Yeah. You got Tom Brady, and then to get Tristan Wirfs, 13 overall, yeah. and people had him rated as one of the best linemen in the draft from Iowa. I think that was a steal. Uh, that was a yeah. great pick that addressed the need, and that, that, watch out, it's going to be another good team. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the... Th- the philosophies that the Broncos put into the into place this draft, which I absolutely loved, was they drafted dudes who were team captains, good locker room presence from Power Five schools. Yes, it's basically look if they were good in high, if they were good in college, and they showed leadership in college, they're going to do the same for the NFL. You know, these guys from Utah State and uh, the North Dakota States and the, these smaller programs. It's like, yes, they can be good in the NFL. Khalil Mack from Buffalo, I believe. They can be good in the NFL. I'm not saying that. But you're just, you're just, just, let's, let's just think in terms of what's real, you know? Let's yes. not try and outthink ourselves, like you said, with the Adam Jean picks. I mean, the, the center, you got the, the team captain starting center for the national championships. Yeah. Let's draft that guy, you know? It's just. Uh, it, it, it's, some of these NFL GMs, their decisions are perplexing. And I simply, think, but. one, I think for college football, this draft kind of showed the SEC is the best football conference. You can yes. call it top happy yeah. if you want, but all you need to do is look at how many SEC guys got drafted. And I completely agree. And in the first round, first couple of rounds, you should be drafting guys from these big schools because they're playing the best competition. You know, exactly, there's yeah. going to be a high, the, the ceiling's a lot higher for those guys than maybe some, like, taking a gamble on some small... Like, the Patriots took a guy in some D2 school. Um, and Bill Belichick's been horrible at drafting in the past, and that was kind of a head-scratcher. So, um, we'll see. the uh, As far as the first couple rounds go, you know, the big names is kind of a chalk draft. Joe Burrow went to the Bengals. So, I actually like the first two picks with Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. I think T. Higgins with Tyler Boyd yes. and A.J. Green, that's a pretty good receiving core you got there. You just got to get the, the young man Absolutely. some protection. Um, I'm surprised that the Redskins didn't screw it up. They, they got a solid player in Chase Young. <laughs> yeah, um, I got their guy. And we were actually, I was talking last podcast about the Dolphins drafting Jordan Love, but I think they made the right decision in taking Tua. Uh, I think he. Yeah. I think personally, he was the best quarterback in the draft. Uh, they didn't want to risk it and be like the Bears, like, oh, we passed on him, so we could take a gamble on another guy. They they went with the safe play, um, if you can even yeah. call it safe, because all the ankle injuries. But I think they're going to be very happy there. They got a good franchise quarterback um, in Tua. So I, I don't know. That I think uh, went about as expected. Any other any other thoughts on the draft? You mentioned Tua. Um... I think I agree with you. Best quarterback. It, it, it truly is a shame that hip injury happened. Because yes. I think he could have been 
so, so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of teams got what they needed. It was a good draft. Broncos, really looking forward to this season, if it ever happens. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was exciting. It was, good, it was good to feel like the world was normal. For yes. Yes, it was. Now, here's the last one on this. And I heard some criticisms that, like, oh, the NFL or the ESPN showing too much, like, tragedy porn. They keep, like, bringing up all the family members that have died in their oh, family. Yeah. Did I honestly, I didn't even notice or have, like, I mean, I noticed it, but I didn't really have, like, a problem with it. But that was, like, a big thing I saw on the Internet. It's like, oh, I just want to watch the draft. I don't need to be reminded of all of this. And my thought process was like, hey, you know, it's part of their past. You know, they worked hard to get here. It's about them. So I think that, you know, it's yeah. one of the things they wouldn't have mentioned it. If they didn't want it brought up or to show like the adversity they've gone through. But I don't know. Do you think they had, yeah, do you think I that mean, was a real I complaint? I don't remember what player it was. I think it was some guy out of Clemson. And it had like his big board, you know, 6'5", 280 or whatever. Uh, he played whatever in his high school. And then at the bottom, it just said his mom struggled with drug addiction for 16 years. It's like, did you really have to say that? And he actually went on Twitter and he was like, you know, I'm proud of where I came from. Like, you know, I came out the mud. I've been grinding to get here. I'm super proud. And so, you know, I, I leave it up to them. But yeah, I, so, I mean, some of the things, it's just like, did, did, did you need, did you need to, to bring that up? I don't know if that was a necessary thing to say, but, uh, you know, regardless, I know some of these guys, I mean, the draft is truly, it's truly fun to watch sometimes because you see these, some of these guys who like came from absolutely nothing. Yeah. Who are, you know, you know, they're they're getting drafted, they're getting a big money contract, and it's just, you know, you can see it you can see it on like the parents and the families. That's another thing too, you can see them in the living room, you know. Yes. I like that. Getting drafted with their mom and dad right there and it's just just it's cool to see. So and the coaches' really living good. rooms too, which I loved, and we saw that Bill Belichick wasn't even making picks in the second round; his yeah, dog was. Dog. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> looking around, some of the oh my goodness. Cliff Kingsbury's house is incredible. I was like, "Wow, that's huge." I was jealous, man. I would be all right with quarantine if I was there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It, it was fun looking at the... Did you see Matt Nagy's house with the play cards all over the wallpaper? It was an interesting decorating oh, choice. It looks, it looks like, like a madman. Yeah, exactly. He's a mental hospital. He's the Joker or something like that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was... Yeah. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know which... Uh, Yes, yes we will. It was good for a weekend to, you know, kind of have sports back somewhat, able to keep your mind off things. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. Anyone who wants the country to be opened up right now is an idiot, and I'll just leave it at that. I want it to be opened up. But it's not sensible yeah, to do yeah, it right the, now. The I, I do agree. Oh, I know. And by you know, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, we, but... don't, we, don't, we don't. We don't want to be taking up too much of these people's time. <laughs> just leave it at that. By opening Thanks up in Michigan and protesting, yeah. you probably extended it by like another two weeks. Anyway, that's all we got for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, yes. Hopefully, we have more to talk about next week. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to fill in maybe some more Bulls drama. But yes. Yes, they just hired a new GM too. Yes, sir. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of the week.